life for Christ. You have to decide whether he was just a, whether he really was the Messiah, where he was a madman, or whether he was not telling the truth or whatever. You got, you got to make that, every person in here, I don't care who they are, has got to make that decision. Jesus is that one personality that cannot be overlooked. He demands attention through all ages. He cannot be ignored. He cannot be overlooked. Even Pilate asked the question with this, and he said, what shall I do with Jesus? And that's a question that I believe every one of us have to ask also. What will you do with Jesus? Not only if you come to him as Lord and Savior, and he saved you for salvation, but after that, what will you do with him now that you belong to him? How will, he, how will you magnify him? How will you bring glory and honor to him? How, when your life is over with, how will it be that you're live, you've lived your life in such a way that other people look at you and say, he was a great man of God? I had the privilege this week of doing two funerals. One was for Ivan uh, Mills, and the other one was for J.B. Green. And I want to tell you something, that both those men lived their life for Christ. I, I never did know J.B. Green I never did know J.B. Green did it. We weren't talking about church in some way. He was never a preacher or anything else like that. And some, some people think, well, you know, when people get honored in their life afterwards, it's not that, that there were no monuments built to either one of these man, men, but, but by the same token, they were just great individuals that loved the Lord. Ivan Mills was a lieutenant colonel. Did not find the Lord until he came back from, from uh, Vietnam. And it changed his life. He always was in the, always, both of them were always in the Word. I've done hundreds of funerals. And I have, and, and doing those hundreds of funerals, I've had, I've, I've gone in with people, many times because I did, one time I was doing 40 funerals a year when I was working for, part-time for hospice. And I, many times I would do funerals for people I didn't even know. And, and the, I would ask the question, I would try to get, make it as personal as I could, and I would ask him the question, I said, well, tell me something about this guy. Tell me something about him, or tell me something about And I would hear things like, well, you know, he really loved NASCAR. That's it? You see what I'm saying? Don't live your life. What, do you, what will you do with Jesus? At the end of your life, and, and I, I got to say this, I met with both of those families this week, and I'm telling you, it was not remorse. There, yes, there was grieving. Yes, there, there was mourning in, in many ways, but I'm telling you, it was laughter and happiness because they knew where their loved one had gone. They knew where they'd gone. Jesus cannot be overlooked. In all of history, sinners around him. He's the greatest figure of the past. He's the greatest figure of the present. He's the greatest figure of the future. Other men have swept across history and made their individual contributions to the world, either good or bad, but they do not affect life today as Jesus does. We cannot take them or leave them. We, or we can take them or leave them, but not so with Jesus Christ. He must be reckoned with. To the Jews, he was a stumbling block, even today. And to the Greeks or the Gentiles, he was foolishness. And I'm afraid that's where we are in America today. Jesus Christ is foolishness to a great many. 
Every man and every woman who comes into the world must deal with him and one day answer and give an answer to him. He's more than a great man. He's more than a great prophet. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the Savior of all who put their trust in him. He is the coming King who will someday sit in judgment upon all men. Ignore other men if you'd like. Overlook if you can. But you cannot overlook Jesus. You must meet him here. And so before... He rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Before he did that, we see him at Mary and Martha's house in Bethany. And their, and their brother Lazarus says, just six days before this, had been raised from the dead. It's not a large crowd. It's a small crowd, and it is here. And Mary takes some very expensive anointing oil, and she begins to anoint Jesus with this expensive oil. And it's also here that we begin to see really who Jesus reveal, begins to re, I mean, Judas begins to reveal himself. Because the Bible says, why, uh, he, say, he asked the question, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not for he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box and he used it to take that was put in it. In other words, he was stealing from the coffers what the money that Jesus and them had had. Jesus now instructs his disciples in Matthew 21, verses 2 and, and 3. And he tells them, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, and untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, let him, uh, let, let him that, uh, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Notice that there are two. There's a donkey and a colt. Some people have tried to make a controversy out of this, but I don't see a controversy there. The question is, when did Jesus ride into Jerusalem to go along? I go along with J. Vernon McGee who said on the Sabbath that he says in Mark 11, 11, it says Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple and he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. In other words, he went on the Sabbath when the money changers weren't there. So he had to go back because the Bible tells us after this that he went in and he overturned the money, money changers' tables. And so as a result of this, did he do this on the Sabbath? Well, did he make two trips? We don't really know. The question is, when did he do this? Well, which, would, which would explain Mark 11, 11, no, no money changers were there. So did Jesus ride in Jerusalem more than once? I don't know, but he did ride in. That's the most important thing. In Zechariah 9, 9 had prophesied 600 years before. Now think about this. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, prophesies 600 years before that Jesus would ride in on a donkey. What does that do for me? I'll tell you what it does for me. It teaches me that this book is God's Word. It teaches me, it teaches me that this is the only book in the world that, pro that projects the future before it actually happens. That tells you what's happening. This is what it does. And so in, in, in Zechariah 9.9, he tells us exactly what would happen. Behold, your, your king comes riding on a donkey. But that day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it was no small crowd that greeted him. 
For it was the feast of Passover, and according to Josephus, there were over a million people there during this time. Jesus riding into Jerusalem, knowing this was the last week of his life. Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, coming and offering to be your king, your Lord, and he does the very same today. It is that perpetual thing that he does, he offers to you, to be Lord and master of your life. So I first want you to be able to see the acclamation of all this. The scriptures say this in verses 12 and verse 13. He tells them the next day the multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard Jesus was coming took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out with Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king, the king of Israel. They took palm branches and laid them down before him the what Zechariah had had prophesied. And then Matthew 21:7 says, they took their clothes and they laid them on the donkey for him to sit on. Now in Matthew 21:8, it tells me a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. This was Jesus public offering of offering of himself to be the king. But he also knew this same crowd that cried out, Hosanna, in just a few hours will cry out, crucify him. It's interesting to me that if you go over to some place like Deuteronomy chapter 21, uh, in, in verse Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 1 and 8, and, and what this deals with, it deals with those cities that a person, if they had an accident or something, they could run to. And here's what it says. It says, if anyone's slain, if you find a man laying in a field or something, and he is, he is, uh, he's, been, he's dead. And so it says, if anyone is found slain lying in the field of the land which the Lord your God is giving to you, possess, and it is not known who killed him, they just find him. Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. you got all these cities around, so they measure which city would be the closest to it. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest the slain man will take a heifer which has not been worked, which has not pulled with a yoke. And the elders of the city shall bring the heifer down to the valley with the flowing water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck and there in the valley. Then look what it says. Then the priest and the sons of Levi shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord by their word. Every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of the city, look at what, listen, listen what this says. And all the elders of the city nearest to the slain man shall do what? Remember who washed their hands? Who was it to wash his hand? Pilate. That he said, I don't have anything to do. Nearest to the slain man shall wash his hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And then it goes on. Then they shall answer and they shall say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. This is what they said. Then they shall say, Go, go back there. Okay. 
Then they shall say, answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen. Verse 8, if you want to put that up there. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel, and the atonement shall be provided on behalf of their blood. Now read this because here it is in Matthew 27, verse 23. Remember these people are crying out, Hosanna! The word Hosanna means deliverer. He, he's the Savior. He's coming to take them away. But just in a few short hours, guess what they're going to holler? Listen to what they say. Remember what those people are to say there? We are innocent of the blood of this man. I want you to watch this and look at this because this is exactly why Israel has got herself in trouble today. Listen to what it says. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? And they said to him, what? Let him be crucified. If we can go on, if you can go on to verse 23, and then the governor said, What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Go on to verse 24, and it says this Then Pilate saw that he could not prevail, all the rather the tumult. Rising, he took water and washed his hands before the tumult. And I, I am innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it, if you can do 25. And all the people answered. Listen to what they answered. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Let his blood be upon us and our children. You see, he knew his purpose was much greater. This is why it says over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. Why did he go to the cross? Did he go to the cross for you and I because he wanted to, the, the, the joy that was set before him because he did, the beatings and the crucifixion? No! He went because he could look beyond the veil of this world and he saw a time which you are going to be reunited with your loved ones. And what a day of rejoicing that is going to be when we're back with them again. That Christ has brought us all together. We will sing praise God. That's why there's only going to be 30, sec 30 minutes of silence in, in, in heaven. The rest of the time we're going to be singing Hosanna. The rest of the time we're going to be singing glory to his name. Now many of these people came because they'd heard that Jesus had done in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I wonder what the Romans thought. For they were used to putting on great parades. They were great celebrations. When they looked and they saw Jesus, they saw Jesus coming down the road riding a donkey. And Jesus probably average height, maybe, uh, maybe 5'10", 6 foot or whatever, I don't know. To me, the Bible high is really 5'8". But, but anyway, they, they saw him coming down. And his feet were dragging the ground. It was an odd-looking situation, wasn't it? And I, these Romans were so used to parades and things. And one of the things the Roman commanders would do, if they had gone out into battle, in order for them to have a parade, and when the guy would come in, he would be riding a white horse with all these, uh, these people leading for him. And he would, if he, all the people that he had, uh, all the people that he had, uh, had captured or whatever, they would bring them into, and they would put them in a place that was called a circus that they could be used to uh, for entertainment. When they would, they take these people many times, 
these, and they would put them inside animals and sew them up, and then they would turn them loose so wild animals could go in and tear those animals apart to get to them. But this guy would come riding on a white horse. And the only way that he would be able to have a parade, if he went into battle and he came back after he had killed 5,000 men. And here they look, and here comes this man riding on a donkey with his feet almost dragging the ground. And I'm sure it looked weird. It looked weird to them. You know. And, and, and so, riding through the streets of Jerusalem, Jesus riding a donkey and his feet dragging the ground. But you see, that's who our Savior was. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Jesus, listen, Jesus was willing to look ridiculous for you. I wonder how many of us, when we've gotten with some of our friends that you know, they don't, they don't believe like we do. They don't see the church and things. And, and, and for us to speak up and talk about Jesus or talk about Christ or talk about what, we, how we, what our goals are for our family from a Christian worldview, whatever, that we keep quiet because we really don't want to look ridiculous to those people. And the truth of the matter is what we're really saying, we're, we're doing what Paul said over in Romans 1, where I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to all, everyone who believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. We're ashamed of him many times. Jesus was willing to look ridiculous for you and I. And yet there are times we're ashamed to speak up and we think we would... What would people think of us? Jesus came in Jerusalem not as a conquering general that had killed 5,000 people, but he came and he humbled himself. And in 50 days at a place called Pentecost, he's going he's to have 3,000 people that are going to turn their life to him and be saved. And in just a few days more, in Acts 4-4, it says, and the number of people that were saved were 5,000. Why do we ask people to come forward in the church? Because Matthew 10, 32, verse 33 says this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And he came to be about 5,000. That's what it says. In John 12, verse 16 it tells us simply, and the disciples did not understand these things at first. They will not comprehend what's going on until after Jesus is glorified in the resurrection. How many times has the voice of God telling you to launch out to something for the kingdom of God, but you hear the naysayers and those who don't see what God is doing and you also recognize another voice that says you don't want to do that. And you recognize that Satan. But you allow the Lord to take your hand and lead you. 
Many times the voice of opposition doesn't come from those outside the church, but those inside the church. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, as Jesus was passing by and the people were crying out, Hosanna, which means in Hebrew, save us, it was a cry of deliverance. And others were crying out, Jesus was the King of Israel and the Messiah, the Deliverer. But they thought he'd just come just like the disciples sought to deliver them from Rome. You know, before we get to another place that we have a hard time sometimes understanding why the disciples didn't, didn't and the people didn't understand why, why Jesus could, could had, uh, why he did, you know, that he, why, why did he, he, they didn't see that he was coming to deliver them from their self, not just from Rome. It's because we don't see our, how bad we really are. The Bible tells me over in the third chapter, uh, uh, second, second chapter of the book of Romans, that there's none good. There's none that seeketh after God. It says there's no, not one. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what it tells us. Now, what we want to do, we want to, what our problem is that we want to compare ourselves to everybody else. We compare ourselves to people. We compare, but that's not the measuring stick. You see, the measuring stick is Jesus Christ. And once, once we stand up beside Jesus, then I begin to say, uh-oh, I got a problem. We don't see our depravity. And yet, yet it was the Apostle Paul who said, within me, within my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. He says simply that, that, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of blood guiltiness? And Jeremiah says over in 17.9, he, he said that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure when he came, we can't even know it. In other words, Jesus came to save us from ourself. The Pharisees in, in, in Luke 19, 39, 40, it says simply that, that then some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd. Now, Jesus is passing by. He's calling from the crowd, and he said, they're saying to him, Rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if, if, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry. Here, here's God coming by, and they're saying, You need to tell these people to be quiet because we're trying to have church here. How many times is it that we miss the presence of God? Or are we like the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, Cleopas, walking, and they're talking, and they're talking about, and they're so depressed, and they're talking about all the things that they thought was going to happen, and yet all their hopes would have been strewn apart because Jesus had died. They put him in the grave, and for they walked for six miles, and they did not understand. They was walking with Jesus the entire time. Today, I, I believe we're living in the time of Laodicea. If you read the book of Revelation, there are seven churches in the first part of, of Revelation. And, and all seven of those churches, that you can go three things with them. One is those churches are, are based, they are really churches that Paul had gone to, spoke to, whatever else. 
and, and then the second thing is, you can take those seven churches and what he, what, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John. And the revelation of Jesus Christ, of the things that he spoke to those churches can be applied to us today. But they're also timelines. I believe the first church was the church at Ephesus. That was the early church. And where was Jesus in that time? The Bible says he, Jesus in the church at Ephesus that he, 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 it says he who walks among the candlesticks. The candlesticks represents the church. He's walking among the churches. When I get over to the very last church of the seven churches, the church of Laodicea, who was the church at Laodicea? The church at Laodicea was the church that said, we're rich, we're increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. Where's Jesus? Revelation 3.20 tells us, Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock, and if anybody hears my voice, will open the door, I will come in and live with them. Where's Jesus? He's still trying, he's trying to get in the church today. He's knocking on the church's door, asking to come in to his own church. The very reason I think America today has got problems because we have not stayed with the Word of God and because we have preachers that stand behind pulpits and won't say what they really need to say. They don't say the Word. May I ask, have you, have you been so taken up with the world that you don't have time for Jesus? And yet you're worrying yourself sick when Jesus said, Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus, Jesus came riding on a donkey asking you to take his hands. And Isaiah 65, 2 says, I have stretched out my hand all day long to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own strength. He's saying, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repent. He's got his hands stuck out. He's saying, will you take my hand? And all these people, they prepared themselves to go out and meet Jesus. They cut down palm branches. And if you have sat in our church very long, you've heard that he's coming again. May I ask, have you made preparations for the second coming of Jesus Christ? I think Jesus would say to each one of us as he looks upon the people of the world today, he wept over Jerusalem because they were sheep without a shepherd. He would have gathered them as a hen gathers her chicks. He would say to us the same as he said to the disciples when he saw the people of Samaria coming to him. After the woman of Samaria was converted to Jesus, and she said, I, 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 she ran into Samaria and she started telling everybody, come and see a man that told me everything I've ever done. And then the Bible says the disciples came back and they, they had food. They had gone to get food. And when they gave the food to Jesus, Jesus said, I have food to eat that's not of this, of this thing. And, and when he does, they think, well, did somebody else come along? And all of a sudden, what we don't see in that picture, those fields are just wheat and everything that's there. And here comes the Samaritan people because this lady has witnessed to them. They're coming through those fields. And as they come in their white clothed as they come through those fields Jesus looks at the disciples and say, says the harvest is great but the workers are few pray that your father will send people into the harvest that's what I'm praying for I'm praying that people will be sent into the harvest we got a lot of needs 
A lot of, we, need, we need teachers. We need other things. We, got, we need people in, in music, other things. We need people. If you can play something, I don't care if it's uh, uh, spoons, whatever. We need people to play with us. Disciples and a harvest is great, but the workers are few. There's a story. Amy Carmichael, I don't know whether you've ever heard this before. Amy Carmichael was a missionary that went to India. She, she spent 55 years of her life there as a missionary. She wrote 35 books. And, and when she was there, India had a policy that when the man of the house died that the wife had to be buried with him. And of course, they didn't actually bury They put them on a poles or whatever, and they burnt them to death. And so the wife had to take part in that. She had to be part. In other words, they interned both the husband and the wife. And so as a result of that, there was all these orphan kids around India. And they're all around India, and, and Amy is going, and she's gathering up all these She's gathering up all these orphans, especially these little girls, and, and bringing them in. And she said the one little girl she went to one time and, and said this guy had her. And he, she asked, said, if you will let me take her, says, I will make sure she has a good home and has food and everything else, you know, for and says, I could just see the glean in this guy's eyes. And I knew what he wanted. He wanted money. She said, I did, get, I did get her. But said, then what happened was the office of her mission group that she was with let her know, said, we got a problem. Says, people are saying that you're disrupting what their traditions are here. And if you don't stop it, we're going to have to pull your visa where you're going to have to leave India. She said, it broke my heart. And what she said was, she said, I, I went on my knees beside my bed. And I went on my knees beside my bed and I told the Lord, says, Lord, it is not my problem. It's not my problem, Lord. It's not my problem with these homeless people out here. It's not my problem, Lord, out here, the drug problems that we got. It's not my problem that some of the things that kids are getting themselves into. It's not my problem, Lord, that there are little kids that need to hear the things of Jesus and there's no teacher. But I, it's not my problem. And she said, as I was saying, it's not my problem. She said, all of a sudden, the Lord gave me a vision. And says, I saw the Lord standing among a fig tree, under a fig tree, and he had tears running down his cheeks. She said, this is what I saw. I saw the Lord with tears running down his cheeks, and he looked at me and he said, Amy, I know it's not your problem, but what I was doing, I was just looking for somebody that could help me take the burden off me. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. Get tired, get worn out, sure. But boy, 
You know, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is Jeremiah 8.20. It says, as the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we're not saved. How many times do we read the Lord saying, my time has not yet come. He performs a miracle, a healing, and he tells people, don't tell anybody. The time had come for him to die. Why? As a baby, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. He came to die. Now so purposely he draws attention to himself. The Pharisees said the world has gone after him. The whole world must know. This must be a public thing. It must be done. In, it cannot be done in a corner. They must know that he's the son of God. And as such that he's going to give his life away for sinful men and women. If there's ever been an event in the world which was public. It was his death on the cross. Galatians tells us that God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. Jesus died at the time of year when thousands of people were gathered in Jerusalem for Passover feast. For he was the Passover lamb. John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. People would look upon the cross and go back and tell the world about it. God's timing is always right. On, on time, God was showing the world his redemptive plan to save them. I once heard a story of a preacher who had a dream, and he said in his dream he saw the Lord, and the Lord was chained to a pulpit. And when he asked him, he said, Lord, what does this mean? He said, my people have done this to me. The only place in the world that hears about my salvation is in the church and from the pulpit. And then maybe even in some of them, you don't even hear it. You don't hear it. Well, to be able to proclaim about our Lord should be our goal every day. Here's the second thing, the explanation, and I'm going to take my seat. It was a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. God said this would happen 600 years to the date. Why didn't he ride a horse or walk about two miles? Because the prophecy, he said, would be he would ride a donkey. Every prophecy must be fulfilled. Why? Jesus was a good shepherd, and the good shepherd entered the door. Why did Jesus call himself the good shepherd? Because of 350 prophecies, he said, all the other ones before you have come over the wall. They climb, but the good shepherd does what? He comes through the door. In other words, all those prophecies that said, if you're looking for the Messiah, this is the way he has to come. Jesus fulfilled all 350 of them. That's why he was a good shepherd. All those prophecies were fulfilled by the real Messiah. The same is that some will hear, enter into the joy of the Lord, thou God, a faithful servant. Others will hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. I, I'm just saying, as he fulfilled his prophecies for Jesus, the prophecies will be fulfilled about you and about me. Some ask if Jesus could control the wind and, and the sea and curse a fig tree and if he could feed 5,000 with two fishes and five loaves of bread if he could raise the dead if he could walk on the water if he could make the blind to see if he could make the lame to walk then why couldn't he have stopped the men who crucified him he told us that no man takes his life from him he said but he lays his life down in other words Jesus orchestrated the entire thing 
If you look at the seven sayings of the cross, what does it say? He looks down, he sees his mother. He ministers to his mother. He said, woman, behold thy son. To John, John, behold thy mother. He, he's still leading people. On the cross, he's still leading people to the Lord as a thief. Remember me when thou comest into my kingdom and thy kingdom. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He ministers to the entire world when he bows his head at the end and says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He was in absolute, total control. Absolute, total control. So why didn't he stop the crucifixion? He could have. He could have because he, 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 but he, he could have because, but he didn't because why? He loved you and me. And if he had, if, if he, he stopped it, he would have had to go back to heaven with that. He had two chances. One is his baptism. Why do you think God said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased? Because when Je- Jesus didn't need to be baptized, why was he baptized? He was baptized because he was accepting the role of what he knew he had to do in this world. To go to a cross and die. Why on the transfiguration when he's talking to Moses and, and he's talking to Elijah and then you read the scriptures, what does it tell you he was doing? He was talking about his demise. He was talking about him going to the cross. He could have gone back to heaven right then. But he didn't. Why? Because it would have meant he'd left you and me here. That's why we got such a savior. Oh, does this story get old? Does it get to the place that we just, you know, I've, got, I've had the privilege of preaching in other places, and, and I've watched them, boy, you give an invitation, man, boy, bam, they, they're on their feet ready to come. In America, we sort of cross our arms and we say, oh, bless me if you can. Have we gotten so used to it? Is God, and here's the question, guys, and I'm, I'm scared to death for this country right now. I mean it. I don't know what's going to happen. Or some people are predicting we're going to be in a war by 2025. I don't know whether that's true or not. That's what they're saying. And you know, we've only had two wars that were fought on this land. You know what it was? Civil War and what? American Revolution, War of 1812 was more of a sea war. But, what, what, you know, we've never had a war that's been fought here. But as we go to face somebody like Russia or somebody like China that has the capability, what, 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 are, what, is, what is it leading to? And, and if we of God's people don't fall on our knees and start crying out to him, I don't know what we're going to do. Is it too late? I don't know. But I want to tell you this, it was not the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was his love for you and his love for humanity and me and the desire to please his Father. What do we need to do? I heard a story of a preacher from a large church that held a meeting in a country church. And he returned to his home on Monday after a week of preaching there. And the next Saturday, there was a knock on his study door, and when he opened the door, he found an older man there, and he invited him into his study, and the older man said to this to the pastor preacher, 
One day when you were holding that meeting out yonder in the country, you came to eat dinner at the house where I work. You didn't see me because I was in the kitchen. But I heard you ask the blessing, and you asked the Lord to bless the hands that prepared the food. I looked down at my old hands, and tears came into my eyes. I thought it was wonderful for a big city preacher to come out to the country and ask God to bless my hands. I decided to dedicate my hands to the Lord, and I went to my church the next day, and I told my pastor about it. I've been working in that church all week, and I've enjoyed it more than anything I've ever done. Now, preacher, I wanted to come and see and ask you to pray for me that I may dedicate not just my hands, but my whole body, whole life to Jesus. Isn't that what we need to do? Let's quit giving him the tiny corners of our heart. Let's, Let's quit loving the world more than we love Jesus. Let's quit making excuses. Let's quit living like worldliness. Let us put our hands anew today in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus and say, Lord, from now on you can have all of me. He rode a donkey into Jerusalem. Why? He was coming that you and I might have life and have it more abundantly. We're going to have a verse of invitation. When we do this, I tell people all the time,